In Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, we encounter the reality that the gospel story has the power to transform every single aspect of our story. And that's exactly what we were made for. This is Ephesians, and we're Mercy Village Church in Barbersville, West Virginia. And you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. Anybody in here a, a, a snuggler? Like you're you're into the you're into snuggling with the person you love or the people you love. You don't gotta raise your hand. I don't want to call anybody out. Or maybe you're in a family with someone who's a, a snuggler. They're like a they want to be close, right? They they like the touch. They like to hug. They like to embrace. Listen, those those folks today who feel that yearning inside of them to be close physically with the people around them are going to have an inside track on the heart of God for His people as we come to this passage. That our God desires to be near to us, close to us. God's heart is to be near to His children. And Jesus paid the price so it could be so. And it is so. There's a word that's going to appear actually next week. The word is reconciliation. It's uh, apkato loso in Greek. How fancy is that? I had to write, if you could see how I wrote it down, you know I'm no scholar. I wrote it down phonetically so I'd remember how to say it right. Apocado loso, and then, and then in my head, I said, "Apocado losos from Mexico." You know, like the avocados from Mexico. So that's so uh, clearly no scholar. But this is the word for the Greek word for reconciliation that is that is used in this passage. We're going to see, but the idea, right, of reconciliation theologically, is that we have received not just pardon for our sins, but we have been restored into favor with God. So that theological concept of reconciliation, apocaloso, is the transfer from one state of being to another state of being. We'll see that take place. But the if that's the theological implication, the practical implication is this. God wants to be close to you. God wants to be near to you. That is his heart. And we'll see that today. God's heart is to be near to his children. And Jesus paid the price so it could be so. And it is so. Father, today what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us by your grace. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 22 are all about reconciliation. Apocado Loso from Mexico. That is the gist. We are going to spend two weeks there. We're actually going to sandwich this week some of the verses. If you noticed, we're going 11 through 13, and then we're going to skip to 19 through 20. The reason why is because there are two parts to reconciliation in this passage. One is our reconciliation vertically to God. And the other is our reconciliation horizontally to one another. But the order matters. 
that we get the order right. Like we must be reconciled to God before we will ever have any chance of being reconciled to each other. If we're ever going to truly, humbly, and we'll talk about this next week, if we're ever going to truly, humbly, selflessly draw near to others, then we must know the reality of how God has has drawn near to us. Otherwise, it'll all be wasted. And so that's where we start this week. That's where Paul starts this week, is how God has drawn near to us. But in typical Apostle Paul fashion, he likes to paint these glorious, beautiful truths against this stark, dark backdrop of who we were before Christ. And what he wants us to do first here is to remember the distance that existed between us and God. Now, now this is never, like Paul's intention here is never for us to become people who just beat ourselves up. We're, we're dead. We're, we're fools. We're incapable people. No, he's, he's trying to say that we were that, but now through Christ we are something else. It's the contrast against which we see our, our identity. It's very valuable to do that, and that's where he starts. He says, therefore, he starts verse 11, therefore, and what he's about to do, R.C. Sproul explains so well. I think this is very valuable for us. Paul is asking his readers to think once more of what they were like prior to their conversion, right? To look in the rearview mirror and remember who you were before Jesus, he tells of a professor that he had in Holland who once said, gentlemen, the essence of Christian theology, that knowledge of God, is grace. If you were to boil down all that we know about God in Jesus, what you would get is grace. That would be the essence of it. And if you were to boil down the essence of Christian ethics, the behaviors of Christians, what you would get is not holiness. That would be in there. Righteousness would be in there, godliness would be in there, but what you would get primarily is gratitude. That we, if we are going to walk with Jesus in obedience, if we're going to do what verse 10 called us to last week, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're called to that. That's a part of who we are. We're supposed to live rightly, act rightly, think rightly, do rightly. Good works. If we're to be there, it can't come from a place of of guilt, he goes on to say. Somehow that pithy little statement has stayed with me. I, I have come back to it again and again and again in my thinking. We're not supposed to be motivated to godliness by fear of the consequences of breaking the law. There are consequences for breaking the law. He's not saying that's not an important part of our understanding of God. But essentially, or at the, the, the most priority, rather, we are motivated by gratitude, thankfulness. Remember Jesus said that the one who has been forgiven much, what? Loves much. So that's why he paints this contrast in verses 11 and 12. He lays, he's laying the groundwork for gratitude by contrasting it against who we once were. Therefore, remember, we just read these verses. That at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Paul loves to talk about circumcision, right? It's like that, it's like that awkward conversation he always wants to have. You maybe have a family member like that. I had a professor at Marshall who was very open about everything. And so like, 
and, and I mean, it's just is what it is. We're family here. If she had a yeast infection, she would talk about it to the class. She would tell us about it. Like seriously, that really was, that's my experience at Marshall. And so maybe you have a family member like that who kind of doesn't understand the social filter, right? Like, okay, that's not what you talk about here in this setting, right? There's a small group of people that maybe you talk about that with, and then there's a larger group of people you don't talk about that with. So like, Paul's always coming back to, to circumcision over and over and over again, but, but he's actually making a very important point, that there was division between the Jews and the Gentiles. That's how they would have known them, the, the difference would have been that way. And those who were Jewish would have looked at the Gentiles and, and called them the uncircumcised, right? Talk about kind, welcoming, right? You talk about really welcoming language. They would call them that. That was the name they had for them. And he's saying to the Gentiles in Ephesus, remember, that's who you were. There was some name calling going on. Do you remember that? The uncircumcision. You were called that by the Jews, what's called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. He's saying that's just a man-made thing. But he says, let me tell you, so that there was this man-made distance. Next week, we'll talk about how that man-made distance needs to be broken down. But he says there was in actuality, not just a man-made distance, but there was a theological difference, distance. There was an actual distance that you should be most concerned about is this. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ. You were at one time alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were at one time strangers to the covenants of promise. You were at one time without hope. You having no hope and without God in the world. He says you were distanced from Jesus. That's where the saints at Ephesus were at one point. That's where you, child of God, were at one point distant from Jesus. You didn't love him. You would not have, you might have sang about him at church, but you didn't really feel anything inside of you when you sang it if, if you grew up in church and you, and you were not a Christian. That, that, those things meant nothing to you. You were distanced from Jesus. You were distanced from being part of God's family. You weren't in the family. There was distance between that. You were distanced from the promises of God. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. You were distanced from that. I was distanced from that and therefore distanced from hope. We were without hope. Hopeless people, apart from Jesus. You get that? That's the claim of Scripture. Apart from Jesus, there is no hope. And if you take that literally, then that means that everything else this world has to offer that says this is for your hope, whether it's financial security or family security, relational security, whatever it is, that actually can't provide hope. Only Jesus can. You were without hope and you were distanced from God in the world. He says, remember the distance. If what comes next is going to blow your mind, If what comes next is going to grab hold of your soul, then you have to remember who you were apart from Jesus. He did this last week, too. He says, remember you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Paul's constantly saying, look in the rearview mirror, not for shame, not for guilt, but look in the rearview mirror so you can be grateful, so that you can be thankful for what God has done. You were dead and you were distanced. That's who we were outside of Jesus. And we couldn't make ourselves alive and we couldn't make up the distance. Last week, Logan talked about verses 8 and 9. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. And, and that faith, his interpretation, it would be mine as well. That faith is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. But that faith comes from God. There's, there are uh, Christians throughout church history that would say actually salvation is the gift from God. Logan mentioned that last week, that, that, that maybe it's not the faith that's the gift from God, but it's the salvation that's the gift from God. And we bring faith to the table in and of ourselves. But even, right, even in that translation, there's still this, whether it's salvation that's the gift or faith is the gift, you still come to receive a gift. You know what that says to me? That even if you bring your own faith to the equation, and that's not, you know, God doesn't put that faith inside of you, but you bring that belief, regardless of how you get there, what you bring to the table is not enough. If it was, that verse would read uh, that this is the just payment for what you brought in exchange. But it doesn't say that. It says it's a gift from God. There's no one-to-one quid pro quo, right? Whatever you bring to the table as a Christian before you are a Christian is not enough. God has to make up the difference. And he does so through Jesus. We were gone. Paul wants us to remember that. Remember who you were. Remember where you were. Remember that you're prone to wander still as a, as a Christian. By the way, and, and this is just like a hob, maybe a high horse or something, but entitlement mentality jacks us all up. It does. Entitlement mentality jacks us all up. And in the church, that's true. When we come into this place saying, I deserve grace from God. I deserve mercy from God. I deserve joy. I deserve happiness. I deserve all these things in and of myself. Then all of a sudden, I become really important to the church. Really important to the family of God, really important to the equation of of anything that is for God's glory. And you know what gets diminished? The weight of God's sacrifice. The depth of Jesus' gift to us on the cross. We have to know the distance. We have to always remember the distance because when we remember the distance, we can celebrate the nearness. So verses 11 and 12 are remember the distance. Then verse 13 is celebrate the nearness. But now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's a big but, by the way. And I like big buts. And I cannot lie about that today. It's a contrast word. It matters. Those contrast words matter, not because they make me still with my 15-year-old maturity laugh, but because they're actually doing something very serious. They're holding up who we were versus who we are in Christ. He says, in contrast to who you were, unfeeling, unfeeling and unwilling, you have been brought near. But how? You've been brought near in Christ by the blood of Christ. That's the, the gospel. I read a devotional a while back, and, and it was just six things that it means to be in Christ. And I won't read all of it, but I'm just going to tick off the list of the six things. This is what it means, child of God, to be in Christ. There are some of the things it means to be in Christ. Number one, in Christ Jesus, you were given grace before the world was created. And the devotional cited uh, 2 Timothy 1.9. 
Number two, in Christ Jesus, you were chosen by God before creation. And the, cite, uh, the citation is Ephesians 1.4. We had that a couple weeks ago. Number three, in Christ Jesus, you are loved by God with an inseparable love. That love that can't stop for you is, is in Christ. Romans 8.38-39. Number four, in Christ Jesus, you were redeemed and forgiven for all your sins. That happens in Christ. Forgiveness of sins, Ephesians 1, 7. Number five, in Christ Jesus, you are justified before God and the righteousness of God in Christ is imputed to you. You are seen as righteous before God in Christ. 2 Corinthians five twenty one. Number six, in Christ Jesus, you have become a new creation and a child of God. That's what it means to be in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And I would add another one. In Christ Jesus, you have been brought near to God. Your nearness to God happens only in Christ. So what does it mean to be in, in Christ? Or how do we get there? Right? If, we, if, if being in Christ brings God near to us, then the follow-up question should be, how do I... How do I end up in Christ? Well, that happens by the blood of Christ. The way that you are brought into Christ is through the sacrifice of of Jesus. This is the gospel. Jesus, God's perfect son, Christmas day, right? Not in reality, but we celebrate born of a virgin, born from God, sinless for all of his life, would go to the cross. And there on that cross, nails put into his hands and into his feet, it matters because it's a sacrifice. Blood spills out and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all our sin. Because there on the cross, God poured out all of his righteous wrath against sin on Jesus so that you didn't have to be punished for your sins. So I didn't have to be punished for our sins, for my sins. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by His wounds, by His blood, we are healed. You can be brought into a right relationship with God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You didn't stay dead. Raised from the dead three days later in power. If you're not a Christian, trust Jesus today. Believe in the finished work of Jesus on the cross and you will be in Christ. And if you are in Christ, you have nearness to God. The gospel invitation is an invitation to be close to God. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you so that we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. That's in Christ that you have that assurance of eternal nearness. I will not leave you as orphans, Jesus says when he departs. He's he's, uh, talking about how the Holy Spirit will come. I will come to you. God, it draws near to us through the Holy Spirit as well. And He doesn't leave us as orphans. He's close to us. So we remember the distance. We celebrate the nearness. And lastly, we see a picture of that nearness. This is where we skip forward to verses 19 through through 22. Those verses in the middle we'll come back to next week. They're about reconciliation amongst the body of Christ. The people of God being reconciled to one another. But this week is about us being reconciled to God. And so verse 19 starts this way. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. We're going to touch on that first part of the verse next week. But then this part in bold, he says you are members 
of the household of God. This is the picture that Paul paints. We are God's household. Now, there's two kind of ways to understand the meaning of that word household, right? If you're... uh, Harry Potter, uh, Ed, if you have anything, know anything about Harry Potter, there's the different houses, right? Like there's the Gryffindor house, the Hufflepuff house. This is where my knowledge expires. But there's the these houses, right? And everybody's in, if you're in that house, that's your community. That's your people. There's a sense in which the church is that. A people, not with shared family documentation, but with a shared Savior are brought together. But it's more than that because that word household is also on like a census form, how many people in your household, and that almost always means how many people are in your family. We are the actual family of God adopted into the family. We're not just a community in that sense a household. We are blood-bought brothers and sisters. We are His household. We belong to God's family. The picture shifts a little bit, not just to the household, but to the fact that we're a house built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. He's painting this picture of a a family, of a house, and the next verse is going to turn into a temple that is the dwelling place of the Lord, that he wants to be near to you, so He's making you His house. That's God's desire. That's God's heart for His children. It's built on a foundation. We're built, uh, right, like, so Mark the Evangelist was not an apostle. I'm going to explain what this means, this, these prophets. Mark the Evangelist was not, a, was not an apostle. Luke the physician, the historian, he was not an apostle. James, the brother of Jesus, was not an apostle. Watch out. And whoever wrote uh, Hebrews may or may not have been an apostle, but they were inspired by God to write Scripture. Just like the prophets of the Old Testament were inspired by God to write Scripture. So they don't get the title apostle, but they are prophets inspired by God to communicate truth. And then the apostles, of course, wrote the rest of Scripture. And we know them as well. They're the foundation, but I thought Jesus was the foundation, right? Well, he's in here too. And, and not only that, but he's the most vital part of this verse because he's a cornerstone. Now, now in our day and age, a cornerstone is decorative, right? If you a nice building, it'll have like a date on it. It'll be like ceremonial. When at the writing of this, that wouldn't have been the understanding of cornerstone. The understanding of cornerstone would have been the most essential stone in the entire foundation. Without it, nothing happens. It's, uh, it's the perfect stone off which the rest of the foundation finds its strength and rightness. So Jesus is the essential piece of the foundation, and beyond that, it is the prophets and apostles who are the foundation, namely their teachings about Jesus. They teach us who Jesus is, and this is the foundation that we are built on. We, the family of God, His building. We find our firm foundation in Jesus, and we find our firm foundation in the teachings about Jesus. That's what holds us together, in whom we, in Jesus, the whole structure is being joined together, grows into a holy temple to the Lord. In Jesus, all of the reconciled people of God are becoming a sacred house for God, a temple. How many of y'all most of us grew up in Appalachia, grew up with a granny or a mama 
who said, okay, we're going to God's house on Sunday morning, right? Or a mean old grandpa, no running in God's house, right? Like that was the verbiage. Well, I don't mean to offend any Appalachian grandmas because they're the best. Of all the grandmas in the universe, the Appalachian ones are the best. But there's no brick and mortar house of God. It's a people. There's a house for God, but that house is made from living stones. People, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are the house of God being built together. Spiritual house, living stones, that's us. Verse 22, in him, you, child of God, are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Is the home finished? No. Still being built. You follow me around this week and you can see that, that this living stone is not yet a perfect stone. And you can follow all of us around this week and you would realize that these living stones are not completely built into a house of God yet. It's, it's happening. It's being built. Is it done in our strength and in our power? No. It's by grace through faith in Jesus, the cornerstone. But God's heart for you, right, is the heart towards a home. Think about your home, right? What it should be. Uh, kind of a comfortable place that you want to be, where you can go, nuzzle in, be close. That's a home, right? And God says to us, busted, broken, failing, weak people who struggle to have faith to believe it, that he wants to be close to us and dwell in us. Now, if that doesn't hit your soul today, it's not my fault. I've prayed all week that this would hit your souls today. That the Holy Spirit in our midst would give us a greater understanding of what that truly means. That the God of the universe wants to be close to you. That's good for the soul. God is making you his home. God is near to you. He wants to be near to you. He brought you near. He chose to be near. He is intentionally making it so. And so I end with this question. Do you believe it today? Do you really believe in your heart that God wants to be near to you? Do you believe that you're worthy of the nearness of God? That in Jesus Christ, you are worthy of the nearness of God. I'm, I'm being serious. Do you believe that? Or do you have things that are, that are holding you back from believing that, right? Do you think that when God looks at you, it's, it's, it's a shameful look? Right? Maybe you received shameful looks from your parentals or from other people in your life. And so now when God looks at you, you see him through those eyes. 
Maybe he's an absent father because you had an absent father. Maybe he's a lazy father because you had a lazy father. Maybe your father or your uh, parents or someone influential in your life has always recoiled from your sin. And so when you think of God's viewpoint of you, you see him recoiling from your sin. Oh, I can't look. Maybe when he... Maybe when he looks at you, he, he loves you, but he's got kind of this, I knew you'd end up here. Remember I told you. <laughs> told you so, right? I told you that if you walked in this way, failure, destruction, and now here you are. I've talked to my kids that way. Surely God must, no. Good news today, those are all false narratives. God wants to be near. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's God's view of you, child of God. And so your homework for this week is let him draw near to you. Let him draw close to you this week, very specifically. Find 15, 30 minutes. I know for some of you that's like a huge amount of time, but do it. Make some time. Make 15 or 30 minutes this week, more if you have it, and get alone with your Bible. Get alone in prayer. Read this passage that we had today, Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 13 and 19 through 22. Maybe you don't feel near to God today. Tell him that. Tell him that. Talk to him about it. Be open and and honest with him. I don't feel your nearness. Tell him how desperate you are to feel it. Lay hold of his promises through prayer and through his word. See if maybe you don't feel that nearness this week. And if you don't, repeat the process. And if you don't, repeat the process. And if you don't, repeat the process. How how life-changing would it be if the people of Mercy Village Church, the people of Barbersville who call themselves Christians and points surrounding who call themselves Christians were so confident that God wants to be near to them that we feared nothing. We didn't fear loss or pain. Not that we don't acknowledge those things and experience those things with grief and, 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 and difficulty, but that those things can't finish us. Because God longs to be near to us and has drawn near to us. You exist to be near God. And He wants to be close to you. Next week we'll see that you exist for the glory of God too. It was alluded to in that temple analogy this week. A temple is a, is a house for worship and bringing glory to God. And one of the ways we bring glory to God is being reconciled to one another. We'll go there next week and we'll see how we bring glory to God through our togetherness. But for this week, remember this. God's heart is to be near to His children. If I could take that, package it up, and put it in your soul. But I can't. I'm inadequate in so many ways, and least of which is not being able to convince you of that. But that's true. God's heart is to be near to His children, and Jesus paid the price so it could be so, and it is so. God's heart for you is to be near to you.
you're not a Christian, trust Jesus today and come near to God and to the family of God. John 1.12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Trust the finished work of Jesus today. We talked about it earlier in the, in the sermon. And be saved. And all those promises of nearness will belong, will belong to you. Child of God, this week, sit in that thought that God wants to be near to you. And any conceptions about God you have that are different than that are misconceptions. God wants to be near to his children. That's his heart for you. Let's pray. Father, I... uh, What a hard thing it is, some weeks, but yet a gracious gift to preach something that at points in time I'm not 100% convinced of myself. Because in that I feel the weight of some folks in this room and in our body of believers called Mercy Village Church that are struggling to fully engage the reality that you desire nearness to them. Because I too struggle with, with misconceptions sometimes about your desires towards me. God, I pray that you'll do what I can't do and you'll break down those misconceptions today. That all of us would leave this place more convinced than ever that you desire to be near to us. I've thought of my wife all week and and how she draws near to me. She puts her head in that one specific place on my neck. And I want so desperately to believe that your love for me, and I want the people in this room so desperately to believe that your heart for them is that. That nearness, that closeness. And yet I can't even make myself believe it. So you got to do it. So do that work in us, please. We leave this place more convinced of your heart towards us than ever before. And might we live in that reality. Next week we'll see how that plays itself out very practically and how we treat other people. But this week might it be your nearness to us that falls upon our hearts sweetly and generously. It's the name of Jesus Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. And we'd love for you to experience what God is doing as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. Connect with us online at www.mercyvillage.church.